Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. God is good. It's a bit of a theme, but he is good all the time. Amen. Let's just pray together. Lord, I just pray that the word this morning would touch our hearts, and in return, we would touch your heart. Lord, I just pray that we would, through your word, come to know a little bit more about Jesus this morning and become more like him. Amen. Well, we're continuing our journey through Romans, and this morning I want to talk about love. And this is not the Valentine's Day message. Well, it's purely coincidental, but as Dave said, it is a good opportunity for us to step up. So if you've got Bibles, could you turn to Romans chapter 13, please? And unlike previous times, it's a very short passage of Scripture. (laughs) And it starts in Romans 13, verse 8. And Paul says this, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbour, you will fulfil the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no wrong to others and so fulfils the requirements of God's law. The world talks about debt consistently, but the love of Christ is a debt that we always owe to one another. Um, But debt in the world creates pressure like no other pressure. Um, I I heard a story recently of a, a Roman nobleman who died owing thousands and thousands of whatever they were to the emperor. And um, he managed to conceal it all before he died. And when he died, Caesar went to one of his officials and said, I want you to go to this man's auction and I want you to buy his pillow. And uh, the nobleman said, well, why do you want his pillow, Caesar? And he said, well, if he could sleep with all that debt, that pillow must be amazing. (laughs) But debt can turn a happy person into a bitter human being. Somebody once said, debts are like children. The smaller they are, the more noise they make. But my favourite one is that there is no greater joy than paying your last mortgage payment. (laughs) But there is a debt that we'll always owe that we can never pay off. And that is the debt of love to others. You see, we can never reach a place where we can say... Well, I love everybody as much as I should. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much you've grown as a Christian. We all have to grow in love. And the biblical biblical emphasis of love isn't minor or infrequent, as we read in the Word. Jesus said that love is the distinguishing mark of his followers. In John 13, 34, it says this. It says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. You should love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. 
And in case you missed it, in the same discourse, a bit further on in John 15, 12, it says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And then if you've missed it again, five verses later, he repeats, this is my command, love each other. Paul also speaks of loving each other with the same frequency. In Romans 12, 9, he says this, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tight to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honouring each other. And then again in Corinthians 16.14 he says, do everything with love. In the same vein as our text in Galatians, he then goes on to say in Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is summed up with this one commandment, love your neighbour as yourself. He told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. He wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. He wrote the great chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And in addition to all the other epistle writers in Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, and 1 John and 2, there are repeated commands to love one another. So I think that's a fairly good scriptural basis for loving one another. So would you pass the test this morning? Or more importantly, would would your family or those that you uh, live with, those that you work with, say that you are a loving person? But it's a lifetime growth process that you know, we need to grow in love because often we fail to love as we ought. But it should become our diligent focus to love one another, to love one another because the debt, this debt you will always have with you because we need to repay the debt of love because it sums up the commands of all God's laws, fulfills all God's laws. But as believers... The foundation for loving others must be based on our experience with God's love for us in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8.38 it says this, I am convinced, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to be convinced. We need to be convinced, folks, because the love of Christ is all-providing, it's all-consuming, it is totally effective against everything, the love of God. If we try to love others out of our, outside of God, it could be just moralism. And it certainly won't have the power to change lives. And that's the difference, folks. The love of God changes lives. It changes lives. We could be mistaken and say that our good deeds would commend us to God and other people. But the Bible is clear that by nature we are selfish. In Romans 3.10 it says, Not one, not even one, is righteous. Our attempts to love others could be for the wrong motives. It may be because we want to get something from them or because what love does for us. But it's only after we've come to the cross and we've denied ourselves and we've received the gift of eternal life 
that we have the capacity to love others in the power of Christ. It's only then that our motive is to glorify God because while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we look a little bit more into love, I just want to consider this little phrase that uh, Paul uses. And he said, he said, owe nothing to anyone. And as Christians, we should pay our financial obligations. Now, some Christians believe that this phrase prohibits all borrowing. But I couldn't find a single commentator that agreed with that. There are many scriptures that regulate but don't prohibit debt and borrowing. And in the parable of the talents, um, the lazy servant was told by Jesus that he should have put the money in the bank to get interest. And that's what Jesus um, condemned him for. Because it was implicit in the story that the bank paid interest on the loan. But, however, the Bible does warn us against the dangers of debt. In Proverbs 22.7 it says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. And debt often reveals an underlying greed that we want to buy the things we can't afford. It reveals that we may love the world and love the things of the world. It may reveal that we want to get status in having nice things and we go into debt to borrow them. And if we borrow too much, we could end up in bankruptcy, which isn't a good testimony and is effectively stealing. If we're in debt, we're not free to give generously to the Lord. So we should never incur debts that we cannot pay on time. But the debt of love is a different matter. Because as believers, we work towards paying it off but never fully paying it off because we owe a debt of love to all people. In that scripture, it says one another, one another, and that includes all believers. But this command extends to all people because his neighbor, when it says um, love your neighbor as yourself, literally means the other, the other person. So our debt of love is to everybody. It's not just to those that are believers. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we find in Luke 10, Jesus showed this command that you should love your neighbour as yourself. It even extends to strangers. It applies to people that we may not especially like and to those who have wronged us. But we do need to love them. We need to treat them as we treat ourselves because Christ would. We repay this debt of love because of God's inexhaustible love for us. You may wonder, well, how did I incur this debt? I haven't, been, I haven't given them anything to put me in their debt. I don't even know these people. But we find a clue back in Romans 1.14 where Paul wrote this. He said, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilised world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. And un- and I'm under obligation which literally means I am a debtor. It is my duty. I am obligated. I am obligated to preach the gospel to all people because it goes on to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then also the Gentile. And the reason he incurred that debt was he would received God's gracious love while he was still a sinner. Hallelujah.
Therefore, if we've received the gracious gift of eternal life, then we owe a debt of love to all people. We owe a debt of all people because we are under obligation. I am under obligation to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in Market Harbour. I'm going to start in Market Harbour. I'm going to keep it small. I'm going to start in Market Harbour because people in Market Harbour need to know about Jesus Christ. And the great thing is I don't, have to, I don't have to pay this debt out of my own store of love because my own store of love is quite limited. But I pay it out of the overflowing love that God has towards me because I'm rooted and grounded in him. In Ephesians uh, 3.17 it says, Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how high and how wide and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's a great scripture. It says, may you understand, even though you may not understand, because my roots are going down to his love, and then it's flowing through me. That's why I emphasised a few moments ago that you must experience the love in Christ before you can really love others as God loves them to be totally effective on the earth. You may also wonder why Paul didn't mention the first great commandment that you're to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. But the answer, I think, is twofold. Paul's focus here is on our relationship with others. It's not directly our relationship with God. And he's assuming that you've been reading Romans 1 to 11 where he spells out in great detail the great love that God has for us, which is the source and the motivation of our love for God and for others. In the past 40-odd years, it's been taught that relational, and it's not from Christians, but it's been taught that relational problems stem from low self-esteem, that because people don't love themselves enough... Things have been said like the measure of our love for ourselves is a reflection of the love we have for others. We must, we must first learn to love ourselves before we can properly love others. And self-love is the assumed standard by which we measure the love for others. But that doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from the second commandment or anywhere else in the Bible. It comes from psychology. Because there are only two great commandments, not three, Love God, love your neighbour. You see, we all love ourselves quite well. We all take care of ourselves. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in every situation. See, I've noticed that when a driver drives past me really fast, I look at him and I think, what an idiot. He needs to get off the road. He's going to cause an accident. And yet a bit further down the road, another driver passes me and he's in my way. And I can't get past him. And I think, what an idiot. He needs to get off the road. He needs to get some driving lessons. But I drive just right. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard um, men come to me and say, if my wife and kids could just get their act together, our family would be absolutely perfect. But me, hey, I don't need to change. In William Hendrickson's commentary of the Epistle of Romans, he says this, it is a certain thing that a person will love himself and he is also, and he's also certain that he will do, in spite of the fact 
that he loves himself and his many faults. And we all have faults. And Jesus himself said, you know, we need to take the plank out of our own eye before we can take the speck out of our, of our, our brother's eye. So we have to keep working to pay it off. Paying off debts is hard. Paying off debts is hard work. It requires discipline. You'd really enjoy that three-pound latte. Are they three-pound at Starbucks? I, I don't drink coffee, but um, I, really enjoy, I really want that coffee at Starbucks, but you know, I'm trying to get my credit card down, Bill, so I won't have it. I'd really like the latest gadget or smartphone, but I'm going to have to wait. It's hard to get out of debt because we have to deny ourselves. And it's the same with the debt of love. We have to deny ourselves. We're never going to get to the point where we can say, I love my wife as much as I should do. I don't need to work at it any longer. The reason is it's difficult to love people all the time because it requires self-sacrifice. It requires self-denial. I'd rather sit here and watch the TV than help my wife with the, the washing up or looking after the kids. Hey, doesn't she realise I've been at work all day? At church, we can be very focused on our friends and not notice that there's a visitor standing there alone. We have to take the focus off ourselves and see the need in others and to repay that debt of love towards them. You see, I'm countering the popular notion this morning that love is spontaneous and it's effortless because it isn't. When we talk about falling in love, falling doesn't take much effort, I found. And if you've ever fallen out of love, that doesn't take much effort either. But when I search the scriptures, that's nonsense because the Bible commands us to love one another, which implies that we can, we can do it even though it requires some thought and effort. We talk about marriage. And yes, there is, initial, there is an initial attraction. There is a feeling for one another. But there comes a time, which some people regard, would call after the honeymoon period, there comes a time when both parties have to say, I choose to love you in my speech and with my actions. The great songwriter Don Francisco wrote a great song about marriage, which is called Love is Not a Feeling, It's an Act of Your Will. And I was reading the, the marriage vows um, on Saturday. My wife told me to read them. And um, <laughs> it's, it says this, it says, it says to have and to hold... From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. And there are times when we have to choose to do that. You know, let's be real, folks. There are times when we really have to choose to love one another. And whilst love in marriage should involve our feelings, it, it is at the core, it's rather a commitment that results in actions. There's a great scripture in Ephesians 5.22 about marriage. And it says this, for wives, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so, your wives should, so, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, some wives don't like that scripture because some men read it like this. They go, for wives, this means submit to your husband. But we should always read scripture in light of all other scripture because it goes on to say, because of that, for husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loves the church. 
Now, I don't know about you fellas, but I think we got the rough deal on those two scriptures. <laughs> you know, we can sometimes read the scriptures the way we want to read them. But for the husband, this means that he loves his wife as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. Oof. Sometimes people who are getting ready for marriage come to me and Mandy and they say, oh, give us a few tips. And I always read them this scripture. Because you hear people talk about, oh, I'm in this situation, it's a vicious circle. Well, this is a blessed circle. If you're, if you're married or you're thinking of getting married or you'll get married in the future, think about this scripture. If one submits and the other loves, wow, it's fantastic. Love is a commitment that we make to one another to sacrifice ourselves to seek the highest good in everyone. The highest good for every person is to come to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ and to be more like him. With a total stranger, it may be the commitment to sacrifice our time to tell them about Christ. Love may be a thoughtful act that we do for another person. It may be that we realise that a brother or sister in Christ is drifting away from God and we make time to initiate something with them and restore them to Christ. In our text, um, Paul repeats four of the Ten Commandments. The first, the, se- the first, the seventh. Oh, sorry, he repeats four of the Ten Commandments. And the, the first one was the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And sometimes those who commit adultery convince themselves that the new partner will make them happy and meet all their needs and they certainly aren't loving their present spouse or their children by displaying a lack of commitment or love. And people often say that you have to work at a marriage. But someone once told me that a marriage is like a garden and you have to tend it. And it was so funny because yesterday we were at a meeting and David was reading from, nothing to do with love, but he was reading from um, Genesis And it says that the man was put in the garden to tend the garden. And um, I like a good garden, but I'm not a good gardener. Um, But if you're a good gardener, you understand the seasons. You prepare the ground. You know when to sow, when to trim, when to pull out, when to cut back, and when to leave alone. And by doing this, the garden always looks healthy, whatever the season. However, we have seen gardens that are completely overgrown, You know, they're just a total mess. And a load of people go in and they clear the ground and they chop everything down. And it looks okay, but it's not the same until it's had some tending. And so for all of us, we need to make sure that in all our relationships that we tend love. That we make sure that we're doing all those things all the time. We're building things, we're making sure we pull that out, we leave that alone, we we water that, we feed something else. The sixth commandment that Paul quotes here is, you shall not murder. Now, most of us here have not actually murdered anybody. Just thought I'd just check. (laughs) But Jesus pointed out in Matthew 5 that that our anger towards others violates this command. Because if we're angry towards them, we're not loving them. The eighth commandment says, you shall not steal. Obviously, taking something from somebody... Is not loving them. Uh, it's not loving. It's not. It's loving yourself above them because you think you have the right to own it. 
And I just feel that our goal should be to be a giver of love and not just a consumer. Be a giver of love this morning and not just a consumer. And then the 10th commandment talks about, it says, you shall not covet or be jealous for something. And coveting or desiring what others have is an attitude that lies beneath stealing. It's based on self-love, not on the love of God for others. And when you covet what someone else has, it's because you mistakenly think it's going to make you happy. So give love unconditionally, and then you'll receive love unconditionally. There's a sowing and reaping principle there. The list is not exhaustive, so Paul adds on at the end. He says, these and other such commandments are summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbour as yourself. And love involves concrete actions towards others. It requires self-denial to meet the needs of others. And self-denial runs counter to my flesh. Love requires constant effort and thought because some people are easier to love than others, I found. <laughs> I've got to take the focus off myself and think about how the other person may feel. And that's what... I must think about what the other person may feel and what the other person may need. So Christians loving each other fulfills God's law. Now that is quite interesting because we all talk about we don't live under the law anymore. So I had to do a bit of study here. So in chapter 13, Paul says this. He says it twice explicitly. He said, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And love is the fulfillment of the law. And then the third time he says it's all summed up in the law. <coughs> so why does Paul bring up the law here? Early in Romans, he makes the point that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And in Romans 4, uh, 16, 14, it says, Sin is no longer your master. If you, are, if you no long, longer live under the requirements of the law, instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. You have died to the law in Christ. And in, uh, Rome, going on in Romans 4, uh, 7, 4, it says, So my dear brothers, at this point, you have died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised him from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So why does Paul bring up this whole situation of citing the law and citing the Ten Commandments? And this can be one of those difficult theological issues. Some scholars say that Mosaic law is divided into three areas, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral. And in Christ, the civil and the ceremonial laws for Israel have been done away with, but the moral law still binds us. There is some truth in that, but you can't divide that thing neatly into three areas. And also, the law is a unity, and so thus you can't just pick the bits out that you'd like to be under, because then we get into all sorts of serious problems. And for Paul, you were either under the law or you wasn't under the law. So my understanding here is that Paul is countering his critics who accused him of abandoning the law and promoting licentiousness because in Romans 3.8 it says, and some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. And these things need to be, deserve to be condemned. And then in Romans 6, Paul says this, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Obviously not. But he's showing them that believers in Christ love each other and they are fulfilling the law of Moses. And whilst we're always falling short of perfectly loving others, Christ is our righteousness. 
And he did, he did perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf. And as we practice true biblical love, which is to seek the highest good of those we love, we will not commit adultery, we won't murder, we won't thieve or covet. We are obeying God's holy commandment. And thus we fulfill the law in Christ. Paul asks us here, are you paying your debts? Are we working to pay our debts, to love always and to pay the debt of love that we have for others? Are we making the sacrifice of our comfort, our, com our convenience to meet the highest good of others? If you're married, begin with your spouse. If you have children, practice on them. We all have difficult family members. We all have difficult extended family members, but they need to know God and our channel of God. They, you are their only channel of God sometimes, so we need to love them. It may be somebody at work. It was, I was so blessed by what Matt shared with us. Matt is the channel of God's love to that person, to Alex. Love should be our highest aim. To know Christ and to be conformed to him. And it will take effort. But we owe such love to him. We owe such a debt of love to share the gospel, to share our love, to share our time with one another. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, whatever he sows to please Whenever, whatever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh he will reap destruction. Whatever he sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit he will reap eternal life. And I believe this morning that as we sow love, we'll receive love. But not only that, but we're going to receive souls, we're going to receive salvation for people, and we're going to receive revelation. Because Jesus at the very start said, they will know that my, they are my disciples by their love for one another. And as I've said so many times, the world is watching you. So how can I develop this quality? Or how can I improve this quality? Paul's answer is this. Walk in the Spirit. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. And we see that in Galatians 5. Uh, sorry, in Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness and faithfulness. And if you ask, how can I know whether I'm acting in love? Paul gets very specific in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm just going to read this to you in the message from verse 4. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the state to be burnt as a martyr, but don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love never cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want to have what, others, what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything trust God always always looks for the best never looks back but keeps going forwards let's love one another but more importantly let's love 
the people out there because by doing that, Christ will be established in this town. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.